Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I want to talk to you in this podcast about one of the most pressing public policy issues of our time, and that is abortion, and specifically Roe v. Wade. As you know, President Donald Trump has appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court, nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh has ruled in a number of cases related to abortion in an anti-abortion manner, uh, believing that the law does not justify, uh, does not support uh, an unrestricted right to abortion. And so obviously the left is very upset. The pro-abortion forces are very upset. Planned Parenthood is in a tizzy. Um, and many people are talking about Roe being overturned. So I thought what we ought to do is talk about what Roe v. Wade is, what happened, what took place, what it's meant for our society, and what would happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned. In fact, is it likely that Roe v. Wade is even going to be overturned? So let's back up. Roe v. Wade is a 1973 law in which the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the overturning of a Texas law that banned abortion, in essence. Uh, There was a woman by the name of Norma McCorvey uh, who found herself to be pregnant. She tried to have an abortion. The clinic she wanted to go to had been shut down by police in the state of Texas. Uh, She appealed. Uh, There were people standing by ready to use her as a test case, so to speak. And so uh, she was disallowed uh, to have an abortion. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, through a number of a series of appeals I won't bore you with, uh, essentially heard the case and ruled seven to two. Uh, that she not only had the right to an abortion, but that abortion was a fundamental right. Now, that's the broad outline. Those are the broad outlines of the case. Uh, And lawyers would care about more detail. And of course, they'll know how to look it up. Uh, It's the basics of what you need to know. But you also need to know this. And I'm going to hit hard in this podcast. And so you're going to hear my uh, my particular perspectives. Uh, Roe v. Wade was just bad law. I mean, some people point to the fact that Roe v. Wade overturned more than half the state laws in this country, but I don't pay much attention to that because that's exactly what Supreme Court rulings often do. They overturn, they reverse, uh, they replace their rulings, trumps, so to speak, to use the word in the old sense, uh, trumps the state laws. That's exactly what Supreme Court rulings are meant to do. So I I can't be upset with Roe v. Wade because it undid the will of the people uh, in, in a majority of states, that's that's kind of their province, whether they rule correctly or rule wrongly. Um, but I can fault Roe v. Wade for its legal reasoning. Um, in the Constitution, there is a certain right to privacy that is guaranteed uh, in the guarantees against improper or illegal searches and seizures. This, of course, comes out of the Quartering Act and other deeds by King George III and other abuses of individual liberties uh, in the Western legal tradition. And so the idea was to keep the police force, whatever you might call that in your given society, uh, from being able to search your home or uh, seize your property uh, improperly. 
And so in that sense, there was a certain right to privacy. Now, the words right to privacy don't appear in the, in the Constitution, uh, but this has been assumed. That kind of right to privacy has been assumed. In Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court, in its majority opinion, opinion uh, ruled that a right to privacy extends to a child in the womb and that that right to privacy belongs exclusively to the mother of that child. Now, I understand why this is a feminist issue. I understand why it's a woman's rights issue. And let me say quickly uh, what, I, what I say that often bothers some of you, uh, as you tell me in your emails, and, and that is that I consider myself a Christian feminist uh, in the sense that I believe in female leadership. I've worked for a female pastor. Um, I am as much in favor of women succeeding and accomplishing uh, as I can possibly be. I I certainly believe in godly biblical marriages. For those of you who know what that language means, uh, I certainly believe in a certain order in the home. I certainly believe that men are meant to protect and encourage women, but I'd be fine with a female president. I'd be fine with a female pastor. I want my daughter, uh, whose name is Elizabeth, to be the Pope, the CEO, the president, the king, (laughs) you know, I mean, the queen, uh, the general. I want her to achieve everything that she can achieve in this life. And I don't think any of that cuts across God's will for her life or biblical teaching uh, as long as she and her husband live, you know, in a proper order and a mutually supportive and encouraging and protective relationship, etc. So I'm I'm different on those issues from a lot of Christians. And I and I think we got a problem with, uh, you know, the whole barefoot pregnant in the kitchen kind of legacy for women that's assumed to come from Scripture, but in fact doesn't. So having said all that, I certainly understand why if a woman conceives a child in the womb, she wants the state to keep its hands off of that child and to make her own decision. Well, I wish that if a woman didn't want a child, that a man could take over that pregnancy. I wish that that pregnancy could be trans, uh, transferred to some uh, machine that would nurture that child to full term. I wish there was some other answer, but that's not what nature slash God has given us. Uh, women conceive children, that child's in their body, and that child is, I believe, and this is where the ethics comes in, I believe it's a separate entity. It's a separate human being. Uh, We know, uh, and you can look these things up online, that the child in the womb feels pain and the child in the womb uh, responds to things. And we know that they feel some degree of emotions at some point in the nine months, etc. So I'm not going to claim to be an expert on any of that. But the fact is that when someone says that a woman who has conceived a child is completely responsible for that child, has total rights over that child, has a right to privacy that no one else can tell her what to do, in my view, and this is going to be, uh, this will shock, shock some of you, this is very much the same argument that was used to defend slavery. In other words, if I'm a slave owner in Mississippi, let's say, uh, during, prior to the American Civil War, what was my case? I own these slaves. They're my property. I have a right to privacy. I have a right to ownership. Uh, you, federal government, you state can't come in and tell me what to do with my property. So that, that was something that we, we decided wasn't true. We decided that, uh, that the moral law, that natural law, that biblical law, uh, that human consensus taught that, that in fact there was a higher law that trumped the right to privacy, the right to ownership, the right to property in that situation, and that a man, one man could not own another. 
That's what we decided. Well, I think the law very much parallels what goes on with abortion because essentially uh, we're saying that a mother owns that child and can do with it what it wishes, what she wishes. She can have that child killed. She can have that child. And by the way, it's legal in most states to partially give birth to a child and then strangle it, cut it open, dismember it. I mean, I don't mean to be too graphic, but this is going on every day in this country because of the legalities accorded to people, the rights according to people under Roe v. Wade. So uh, I believe, it's my view, that Roe v. Wade uh, was built on a wrong premise. And by the way, the, the court used rather embarrassing language that makes lawyers blush. Uh, two words that are often used in legal discussion, penumbra, penumbras and emanations. Um, this is where you catch the whiff of a law. It's not st- stated specifically in the body of the law. It's not stated specifically in the Constitution. But you sort of see that maybe there was a hint at a certain thing and you build a legal ruling on it. That's what the court did. There's no guarantee of a right to abortion in the Constitution. There was no contemplation of that right in the framing of the Constitution. Everybody knows that. Instead, the court extracted and and, def- and deformed and stretched like Play-Doh, uh, you know, uh, the the right to privacy that had to do with your papers and your property and your house and your and your and the privacy of your own home, a man's home being a castle, which had been been part of the Western legal tradition for centuries, and instead made it about the child in the womb. So now the child in the womb is not a separate entity; it's not a a, a moral independent moral being. No, now the child in the womb belongs to the mother. So it was embarrassing that the court decided to refer to emanations and penumbras on something so important. But beyond all of that, the court ruled in a way that wasn't consistent with science and that was even found embarrassing by later courts because the court decided to rule according to trimesters. If you read the original Roe v. Wade case, the court ruled on the whole issue of trimesters. Each trimester in a pregnancy it, it, it maintained on based on bad science was in some way uh, a separate entity, a separate kind of demarcation of a pregnancy, and therefore the law ought to be different for each trimester. Well, there's no there's no justification for this in science. Trimesters aren't the primary demarcations of a nine-month pregnancy, doctors will tell us. And so the court was wrong on this score. In fact, they were so wrong that in 1992, uh, in the Planned Parenthood v. Casey ruling, uh, that part of Roe v. Wade was overturned. So it's not just that I think it's stupid. Stephen Mansfield's opinion doesn't matter. Um, it's that uh, the court actually recognized that the trimester approach to a pregnancy had no justification in law and no justification in science. So this was bad law. It was badly written. It was badly conceived. It was badly drawn out of the Constitution. It applied bad science uh, in a way that was not justified by the law, and it has radicalized and damaged our society. Now, I'm going to stop here because I'm going to do part two in next week's podcast, and I want to talk to you further about Roe v. Wade, about what's likely to happen, maybe about my own story a little bit, and about some things you'll want to know about Roe v. Wade. See you next week. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, 
Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.